Chapters thirteen and fourteen of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen, an uninvited guest. While the baronet was making himself agreeable in the vicarage drawing room and pretending to mistake Mister Vancourt's wholesome medoc for Chateau Margaux, a curious scene was taking place in the schoolhouse parlor a scene of more dramatic intensity than any which had ever been enacted there since mr carew came to headingham night closed dark and starless as the schoolmaster drew his blinds and seated himself at the little table to read his newspaper by the light of a pair of candles the second of which was only lighted while mr carew read with his small pittance it was a matter of some importance whether he burned one or two candles so when he folded his paper and laid it aside it was sylvia's care to extinguish the second candle for a man who lived so much apart from his fellow-men mr carew was singularly fond of the newspaper books interested him little though he had read a good deal at some period of his life but the newspaper he devoured watching the careers of public men and most of all commercial men and noting every step in their progress very often had sylvia seen him lay aside the journal with a heart-piercing sigh a sigh such as the lost in the underworld may have flung after virgil and dante as the light of those radiant countenances faded slowly from them and left all dark long as the schoolmaster had lived in this quiet seclusion it was evident that he had still yearnings that still in his breast there were smouldering fires not to be extinguished sometimes he would burst out into a sudden passion and favour sylvia with a homily upon the crooked ways of destiny the insecurity of earthly fortune but not from a spiritual standpoint did he survey the question not with heavenly hopes did he entreat his child to fortify herself he took a purely carnal view of the subject and taught her that this human life was a jumble of contradictions in which some few pushing indefatigable spirits got the best of it these chosen ones reigned above the general chaos and contrived to enjoy themselves but for the mass life meant hopeless confusion sylvia listened and agreed with the preacher she was very ready to find fault with a system which compelled her to wear faded gowns and home-made bonnets whether fate or society were most to blame she hardly knew but she felt there was something amiss that life was a riddle beyond her power to read aright to-night however mr carew was unusually cheerful in his demeanour he whistled a scrap of italian music softly as he drew down the blinds a reminiscence of his opera-going days you may sing me a song sylvia he said while i smoke another pipe the girl seated herself at the piano and obeyed but as her thoughts were following edmund standon she chose the saddest melody in her scanty repertoire he was at southampton most likely by this time she thought pacing the lamp-lit streets of the strange town sad and lonely and longing for her company so she sang a pensive little song of sir walter scott's set to a mournful strain the heath this night must be my bed the bracken curtain for my head my lullaby the warder's tread far far from love and thee mary to-morrow eve more stilly laid my couch may be my bloody plaid my vesper song thy wail sweet maid it will not waken me mary mr carew did not take much notice of the song the plaintive voice soothed him as he smoked and he meditated more hopefully than he had done for some time he told himself that his daughter had made a conquest sir aubrey perriam was evidently impressed ay and deeply by her exceptional beauty 
there were looks and tones which it was impossible to mistake and again why had the baronet come this evening that pretended interest in the new schoolhouse was the shallowest artifice sir aubrey had come there to see sylvia and for no other reason such admiration might end in nothing of course it was most likely to end in nothing it was not to be supposed that a man of fortune and position who had lived single to between fifty and sixty years of age escaping the various snares which must have been laid for him would fall captive to the charms of a village beauty men are such base slaves to the world they live in that it would be too much to hope that this man might have courage to please himself pondered mr carew however much he admires my daughter he will be stoic enough to turn his back upon us and forget all about her sylvia had told her father of that little scene in the orchard and how she had caught sir aubrey parium at blind man's buff and how he had kissed her hand afterwards like a courtier of the old school fealty to edmund in no wise forbade that she should be gratified by such homage to her beauty yet had edmund ventured to admire any one but herself she would have objected strongly to-night even while she was singing her thoughts wandered from edmund to the baronet and she wondered why he had come this evening and if other people noticed that admiring look in his eyes when he spoke to her poor edmund if he had only been the master of parium place instead of being dependent upon the will of a tyrannical mother look here sylvia said her father when he had smoked out his pipe your fine mr stanton and i had a few plain words together to-day you must have managed matters more artfully than even the generality of women to keep me in the dark till the last moment what was the use of speaking papa returned the girl with her indifferent air i knew you'd be against us and we've only been engaged such a short time engaged indeed cried the schoolmaster contemptuously you don't tell me that you mean to marry a beggar i mean to marry mr stanton answered the girl firmly she looked her father full in the face and he knew that the look was a defiance i should have thought you'd had enough of beggary he will work for me she said with that steady look her father felt the taunt what effort had he ever made to lift his child from the dismal swamp of poverty edmund will work for me repeated the girl why should he not prosper he is young and hopeful and will not sit down and fold his hands contented with beggary like that miserable sluggard those drowning boys talk about i don't know how to argue with a woman exclaimed mr carew scornfully there are depths of silliness to which a man cannot reduce his understanding marry edmund standen if you like proclaim to every one in headingham that you and he are engaged to be married and if you mar as brilliant a prospect as ever a girl had you'll have only yourself to blame by and by when you and your husband are starving a brilliant prospect echoed the girl with a bitter laugh what brilliant prospect can i have here she glanced disdainfully at her surroundings and laughed again not pleasantly what should you say to being mistress of parium place the girl laughed a third time but this time with less bitterness poor papa she said compassionately can you be so foolish as to attach any importance to sir aubrey's notice great events have sprung from small beginnings answered her father sententiously but if you marry edmund you shut the door in the face of fortune sylvia gave an impatient sigh i wish you wouldn't put such nonsense into my head papa it only makes me uncomfortable mistress of parium place indeed 
just because an elderly gentleman has paid me a compliment or two was there ever such absurdity mr carew said nothing but began to read his newspaper sylvia fidgeted with her work-basket yet made no attempt to work that foolish speech of her father's had strangely disturbed her she gave another sigh heavier than the first you don't know how good edmund is papa she said pleadingly you don't know how dearly how truly he loves me i know that he has not a shilling of reliable income answered her father and i consider that enough for me to know about any man who wants to marry my daughter i wish he were richer but mrs standon may relent some day said sylvia musingly he is so good and brave and true and thinks no more of sacrificing his prospects for my sake than if it were but throwing away a faded flower a convincing proof that he's an errant fool said her father and never likely to succeed in life is that a rule papa yet if clever people always succeeded you ought to have done better i don't pretend to cleverness i have been a fool in my time ay fool to the top of my bent hark child he said starting what's that it was a timid knock at the outer door at an hour when visitors were rare at the schoolhouse the little dutch clock in the kitchen had struck ten a late hour for headingham bedtime even for the gentry unless they had company the most dissipated of headingham dinner parties was over at eleven and darkness had descended upon the dinner givers by half past to a nervous temperament any unexpected summons is alarming were it even the most timid tap at a street door and to-night mr carew's nerves were somewhat overstrung that notion about the baronet's fancy for his daughter shadowy as it was had excited him he went to the door and opened it cautiously as if prepared to behold a burglar with a mask and lanthorn or perhaps some modern spring-heeled jack but the figure he saw was by no means alarming only a woman's slender form clad in garments which even in that dim light looked shabby genteel what do you want he asked not too graciously a voice answered him in tones so low that sylvia who was straining her ears to catch the reply heard only a vague murmur but if she heard nothing definite she saw enough to alarm her in the manner of her father he gave a start drew back into the room with a smothered exclamation then bent forward again as if to peer into the face of the untimely visitant wait a minute he muttered and then looking back at his daughter said hurriedly go upstairs to your room sylvia and stay there till i call you i want a little quiet talk with this person sylvia looked at him as if inclined to ask questions i'll call you when i want you sylvia obeyed without a word she took one of the candles with her leaving the room dimly lighted by the other into this dim light mr carew ushered the stranger but not with that air which bespeaks heartiness of welcome reluctantly rather as a man might admit the sheriff's officer who came to deprive him of liberty fourteen verloren east verloren the woman entered with a nervous furtive air as if she were not quite sure whether that dimly lighted parlour might not be in some wise a trap which might close upon her to her undoing she looked around the room curiously wonderingly and from the room she looked at the schoolmaster yes he said answering the look it's a change isn't it nothing splendid here nothing to swell a woman's vanity or feed her pride the place looks very poor replied the woman falteringly 
but i've long been used to poverty then with a little gush of feeling she looked straight in his face and said haven't you one kind word for me carford after all these years drop that name if you please he said angrily here i'm known as james carew you could only have tracked me here by that name don't say tracked you here james i should never have troubled you if there had been any other creature upon this earth to whom i could appeal in my distress what have you used them all up worn them all out all the fops and flatterers who used to swear by the pretty mrs carford i want so little james pleaded the woman not replying to this sneer i expect so little i'm glad of that cried mr carew this is no place to foster large expectations why woman do you require to be told that the utmost i have been able to do in all these years has been to find bread for myself and my child do you want words to tell you that when you see me here he surveyed the room with ineffable contempt the woman watching him all the while with her haggard eyes this room is a palace james she said presently compared with the holes that i have occupied she seated herself with a hesitating air as if doubtful whether the privilege of sitting in that room might not be denied her seated herself where the light of the one candle shone full upon her wan face it was a face that had once been beautiful that was seen at a glance those large hazel eyes seeming larger for the hollowness of the cheeks haggard as they were had not lost all their lustre the delicate features neither years nor sorrow had changed yet on all the face there was the stamp of ruin a decay beyond hope of restoration never again could bloom or freshness brighten that image of departed beauty like a ghost appeared this woman to the eyes that had seen her in her prime the schoolmaster contemplated her for a little while thoughtfully then turned away with a sigh such decay is sadder than death yes she had been pretty and her face bore a painful likeness to another face now in its flower of loveliness those eyes were sylvia's eyes grown old those delicate features had the same modelling but all the glory of colouring which made sylvia resemble a picture by titian this face had lost a pale greyness was its pervading tint the loose hair that strayed across the deeply lined forehead was of the same faded neutral hue as the shrunken cheek if ever the ghosts of beauty walked this earth this was that sorrowful phantom a shade which seemed to say to youth and loveliness behold how fleeting are your graces a history of woman's decadence might have been written from this woman's dress the flimsy silk gown worn at every seam stained and smeared with the dirt of years the wretched rag of a shawl which had once called itself black lace but was now the colour of the grass in hyde park after a hot summer the bonnet a thing compounded of scraps from a milliner's rag-bag the gloves last sacrifice to civilization shrunk from exposure to bad weather till they could scarcely cover even those wasted hands genteel penury had reached its ultimate limit how did you find me asked mr carew after a pause during which the woman had watched his face closely trying to read hope there mr miles the cashier met me in holborn one day and seeing me so poor asked me why i did not apply to you he had seen you in the church here one day when he had come down for a week's fishing in this neighbourhood and he remembered you he told me that you seemed comfortably off and might help me a little this happened quite three years ago i did not want to come to you james i knew i had no right 
i waited till starvation drove me here starvation cried the schoolmaster if you had enough money to pay your journey down here you must have been a long way off starvation a few shillings did that i came by a cheap excursion train to monkhampton i borrowed half a sovereign from my landlady a good soul who has been very patient with me your friend would have done better to keep her money i have not ten shillings to give you good heavens is there no corner of the earth remote enough to shelter a man from the eye of the world to think that fellow miles should spy me out even here he spoke quite kindly of you james curse his impertinence what right had he to mention my name to you of all people oh i know i had no right to come to you said the woman with abject humility there is no pity no forgiveness at least none on earth for a wife that has once wronged her husband once wronged cried james carew with intensest bitterness once wronged why your life was one long series of wrong against me if it had been but your falsehood as a wife well there are men whose philosophy is tough enough to stretch to forgiveness i don't say i am one of those but it is just possible that had your one crime been your flight with that scoundrel time might have taught me to think less hardly of you worms are said to turn when trodden on a curious sparkle glittered in mrs carford's wan eyes her lip curled with irrepressible scorn my crime served as a set-off against yours james she said quietly but for that you might have stood in the felon's dock but for that mr mowbray could not afford to prosecute the husband of the woman he seduced for the error of which her extravagance was the chief cause my extravagance oh james don't be too hard upon me who was it most loved show and luxury and prided himself on his hospitality and was never satisfied unless life was all pleasure who was it that belonged to half a dozen clubs where one might have sufficed him who attended every race-meeting and won and lost money so fast that his bewildered brain lost count of gains and losses my extravagance indeed what was a dressmaker's bill against settling day at tattersall's or the price of an occasional box at the opera against a run of ill-luck at crockford's and how was i to know that we were living beyond our income when i saw you spare nothing to gratify your own fancies i knew you were only a salaried manager in that great house but i knew your salary was a large one and that you occupied a position of influence which your father had held before you what was i but a schoolgirl when you married me and what experience had i to guide me do you think i should have been reckless if you had told me the truth if you had only been frank and confessed that we were on the brink of ruin that you had falsified the accounts of the house and lived in hourly fear of discovery confess to you cried the husband scornfully confess to a doll that only lived to be dressed and made pretty where was i to look for a heart under all your finery no i preferred trusting to the chapter of accidents rather than to such a wife as you i thought i might tide over my difficulties the deficiency was large but one great stroke of luck on the turf might have enabled me to make things square i went on hoping in the face of ruin till one day i went to my office to find a strange accountant going through my books and come back to my house a few hours later to discover that my wife had eloped with my employer that wicked act saved you from a convict's cell said the woman at the price of my dishonour 
answered the schoolmaster the same night brought me a letter from my betrayer the honoured guest at my board the innocent victim of my fraud as i had believed him informing me that my defalcations had long been suspected and had now been proved with mathematical exactness by an examination of the books the letter curt and without signature informed me further that the house would spare me the disgrace of a prosecution on condition that i withdrew myself from the commercial world and refrained from any future attempt to obtain credit or employment in the city of london of the wife he had stolen from me the villain who penned that letter said nothing there was a pause james carew stopped exhausted by passion which was not the less intense because he held it well in check what was i to do submit tamely to my dishonour or follow the scoundrel who had stolen my wife if i followed him if i asserted an injured husband's right of satisfaction he would bring my defalcations against me i had signed his name to bills for my own advantage he could denounce me as a forger i had kept back monies that ought to have come to him he could charge me with theft vain to say that i meant to redeem the bills that i hoped to replace the money the thing was done he paused again breathless and wiped the drops from his forehead the very memory of those days revived the old passion i dreaded the felon's fate but i was a man and not a worm so i followed you and your seducer found you after a long hunt at lucerne how could such guilty souls face the sublimity of nature mowbray behaved a shade better than i could have hoped we fought and i wounded him and left him in the arms of his valet in a little wood not five hundred yards from the hotel where i found you both i came back to england wandered about aimlessly for some time carrying sylvia with me always expecting to be arrested and finally came down here penniless i found the post of village schoolmaster vacant applied for it and after a little delay obtained it with no better recommendation than a bearing which my patrons were pleased to think that of a gentleman that is the sum of my history yours i doubt not can boast more variety only the varieties of sorrow and remorse james answered the wife with a heart-broken sigh i was not so guilty so lost to shame as you deem me the burden of my sin weighed heavy upon me i pined for my child i felt the sharp sting of dishonour grief made me a dull companion and the day came when i saw weariness in the face that had once known only smiles for me i felt then that the end was near my sacrifice had won happiness neither for myself nor the man who still professed to love me we wandered about the continent till he grew tired and talked of going back to england i was heartsick of those garish foreign cities but the thought of returning filled me with horror i should see people i had known people who knew my story i told him my dread and for the first time he answered me with a sneer there's not much fear of your friends recognizing you he said you forget how changed you are i looked in my glass a little while afterwards and saw how truly he had spoken my beauty was gone and soon after this mutual discovery your lover left you i suppose said mr carew no that last shame was spared me i left him i felt that the chain dragged heavily and conscience which only the thought of his affection could stifle awoke with all its terrors i could hardly have found courage to tell my wretched story to a pastor of my own faith 
but there was a good old catholic priest who officiated at a little chapel in the tyrol where we had wandered an old man whose face promised pity i went to him and told him all he bade me consider that if i wished to reconcile myself to offended heaven my first act must be to leave the path of sin i told him that i was penniless but that i thought if i could get to one of the great cities of germany i might obtain employment as a governess or travelling companion or some kind of situation where a knowledge of languages would be valuable the good old man lent me a few pounds enough to take me to Leipzig and support me there while i looked about me at first fortune seemed to favour my efforts and i thought heaven was reconciled with me i obtained a situation in a school to teach english french and italian the pittance was small but my chief need was a shelter out of that pittance i contrived to repay the good priest's loan and clothe myself decently all went well with me till an evil hour after i had been three years at the school and had won the principal's good word by my industry one of my old friends brought a pupil to the school she was a woman who had admired my lace and jewels and shared my opera-box and a dozen other pleasures she saw me recognized the wreck of her former acquaintance and told the principal my story not too gently i was dismissed that day and had to begin the world again without a character and without a friend i need not weary you with the rest of my story indeed i have not strength to tell it enough that i have lived i have hung on to the ragged edge of society being daily governess in poor neighbourhoods danced in the ballet at a theatre in the city road gone out as a dressmaker's drudge at fifteen pence a day but though often face to face with starvation i have never applied to horace mowbray for help i read his marriage in the papers some years ago said james carew a great marriage one that must have doubled his fortune i suppose he is a millionaire now mr miles told me that he is very rich answered the woman with a sigh he seemed to wonder at my rags and not to give you credit for your penitence said her husband with his cynical laugh this world is not a good place for penitence james said the woman with sudden appeal will you give me something to eat i am faint with hunger i have had nothing but a penny biscuit all this long day well i'll give you a meal you don't ask to see your daughter a queer kind of mother i don't want her to see me said the woman shuddering heaven knows how my heart aches at the thought of her but i couldn't face her in these rags couldn't you exclaimed the schoolmaster then you mustn't stay here this house is not large enough to keep people apart it isn't like our snug little box at kilburn with its drawing-room and boudoir and smoking-room and study if you want something to eat sylvia must bring it don't let her know who i am said the mother trembling and turning with a scared look towards the door she shall know nothing unless she has been listening all the time which is not impossible he opened the door leading into the kitchen and called sylvia the staircase led out of this room and at the sound of her father's voice sylvia came fluttering down the stairs but it was just possible that light footstep might have only a minute before ascended there was a pale unquiet look in the girl's face but she said not a word there is a half famished wanderer in there said her father bring her whatever you can find for supper 
sylvia opened her little larder and produced the carcass of a fowl a scrap or two of bacon some cold potatoes and a loaf she spread a napkin on a tray and set out these viands with a neatness which was habitual to her even though her hands trembled a little as they performed the task then with that tray in her hands she went into the parlour the wanderer looked at her and she at the wanderer both faces with something awful in their expression as flesh and blood may look at a ghost and indeed each saw a phantom in the face of the other one the spectre of the past the other the shade of the future this is what i was thought the mother this is what i may be said the daughter sylvia set the tray down before the woman looking at her all the while with a half shrinking curiosity that pale wan countenance where all colour seemed effaced by dull grey shadows was so terribly like her own she beheld her own lineaments with all their beauty vanished what she wondered is beauty so dependent on colour and freshness and youth that though the lines remain all is lost when youth is gone she remembered mrs standon's handsome middle age the matronly repose of the fine face the clear bright eyes and the ripe bloom of the cheek care is the destroyer of beauty she thought and not time god keep me from such a life as my mother's she had heard all her curiosity had been awakened by her father's manner and she had taken care to make herself acquainted with the cause of his agitation she had heard every syllable for the doors fitted but loosely in that old house and the voices had sounded as clearly as if she had been in the same room horrified heartsick she had heard of her mother's shame her father's dishonour but though she had a shuddering compassion for the weaker sinner her chief pity was for herself by these sins she had been robbed of her birthright her parents wrong-doing had condemned her to a youth of obscurest penury they had started fair on the road of life and of their own guilty wills had wandered off into bramble-choked byways among thorns and briars which wounded her innocent limbs they had enjoyed their brief day of pleasure and plucked the flowers in the golden valley of sin but for her there had been only the rugged stony steep of atonement she had begun life weighted with the burden of their iniquities the mother looked at her with a heart-rending gaze those faded eyes devoured her young beauty love's fond yearning spoke in every look yet fear kept the tremulous lip silent never had the sinner so deeply felt her sin years of remorse and sorrow weighed as nothing in this moment the runaway wife looked at the child she had deserted and felt her guilt as keenly as if it had been a thing of yesterday how could i leave her she thought what if james was hard and cruel and that other pleaded so tenderly i had my child i might have sustained my heart with that comfort i might have put that strong shield between my weakness and temptation you told me you were hungry said mr carew you had better eat your supper it's late already his wife had not seemed conscious that food had been set before her she watched sylvia with eyes that could see nothing else or only the past which made a phantasmal background to that living picture she stammered an apology and began to eat slowly at first and with an absent air then ravenously the bird shorn and dismembered though he was having served mr carew for two dinners was savoury 
the cold potatoes the bacon the home-made loaf were luxury to one to whom plenty had been long unknown she ate like one who had known starvation vague complainings protestations of penitence evoked no pity from james carew but absolute hunger touched even his cold heart in dim half-forgotten years he had loved this woman with no self-sacrificing soul-absorbing devotion but with just as much love as he was capable of feeling and it moved him to see her brought so low he opened a cupboard and took out his bottle of claret vin ordinaire at fifteen pence a bottle filled a tumbler and gave it to her it was the first direct kindness which he had shown her and she looked up at him with a crouching gratitude like a dog which has been beaten for wrong-doing and then restored to his master's favour that's kind of you james she murmured after drinking a little of the somewhat crude vintage i haven't tasted wine since i was in the hospital in the hospital what for i got knocked down by a cab and my arm was broken they took me to the royal free hospital i was there six weeks the happiest time i ever had after i left germany god help you cried mr carew with a groan eat your supper sylvia still lingered fascinated by that spectral face she had no yearning to fling her arms around this newly discovered mother she saw how worn and soiled those rags were and could hardly have brought herself to touch them for a love of external purity and a loathing of dirt were innate in sylvia's mind no new-fledged affections fluttered her heart but by degrees a shuddering pity crept into that breast she went to her father and whispered in his ear where is the person to sleep papa the question puzzled him he looked at its unconscious subject doubtfully did she mean to plant herself upon him was this late arrival a deep-laid scheme intended to saddle him with this woman's maintenance for the rest of his days if he gave her out of mere christian charity a shelter to-night would she refuse to depart to-morrow morning she was his very wife no legal process had ever severed her from his table or his home she could claim shelter and aliment from him if she pleased and it would be hard for him to dispute the claim impossible to deny it without exposure that would mean ruin he looked at her doubtfully he had had ample cause of complaint against her in those vanished years but her sins had been vanity and extravagance not hypocrisy or artifice yet she had ended by deceiving him she had planned her flight secretly enough no doubt he could hardly believe in an unpremeditated elopement even in one as reckless as that vain foolish woman and again poverty engenders vices not original to the character poverty teaches artifice poverty destroys pride all lofty sentiments are crushed out of being by that grinding wheel so at least argued james carew a woman who had served such a long apprenticeship to destitution must be dangerous sylvia stole to the window and lifted the blind to look out the sky was dark and the rain fell fast noiseless summer rain soft fertilizer of the beauteous earth she went back to her father and whispered again let her have my room papa she said i can sleep on the sofa here you can't turn her out on such a night and she looks ill she can stay then answered mr carew if she makes any attempt to settle herself here i shall know how to meet it he said to himself i am not a man to be caught in a trap of her setting so it was arranged that the wanderer should rest at the schoolhouse for that one night 
mr carew took care to specify the extent of his proffered hospitality rest elsewhere in headingham save on the lee side of a haystack there would have been none for her that virtuous village had long been wrapped in restful slumbers and had a mortal aversion to vagrants End of chapters 13 and 14